0: Well, here we are, everyone, other side of the new year already. Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, Christmas has come, and the new year is now upon us. It's ex- exciting days. I'm sure that, uh, like myself, many of you are looking forward uh, to the new year ahead. You've got kind of new goals, new ambitions. Maybe you've made some resolutions. Maybe you've already broke some of those resolutions, um, you know, when, during the Christmas season, I don't know the, the magic hour or the magic minute, but it seems uh, when you're watching TV or you see the ads that are on uh, social media or on the internet, there seems to be this this moment when all of the commercials, all the advertising, it just switches, right? It's, it changes from uh, selling fancy food, all, all these gifts, all these gadgets and toys, all these Christmas commercials, to all of a sudden, uh, the commercials change to selling Exercise, bikes, gym memberships, vacations, weight loss programs. You know, every year this this happens. We go through Christmas, and, and it goes from uh, consuming and overindulgence, and it just kind of whiplashes to uh, cutting back, getting healthy. We you know we determine to to eat better, to drink more water, I'm trying to get your eight cups in, right. Uh, You're trying to get your steps in. If you're an Apple person, you get the Apple Watch. You're trying to close your circles. Uh, We're trying to take supplements. You know, we blow the dust off the treadmill. We renew our gym memberships. Maybe we order, uh, you know, that controversial Peloton bike, Bowflex, whatever it is, you know, we're wanting to get, uh, start the year off right, getting healthy, and it's good. It's good to plan to get healthy but as, I, as we think about that, I'm also reminded of Paul's words in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also for uh, the life to come. And so as you and I are turning this corner into the new year, and we're concerned about the physical and, and the health, the out, outward health, we need to be concerned about our spiritual health. We need to be concerned about uh, what the Lord needs to do in our hearts. And so I'm praying that that you are setting goals for godliness, plans uh, to grow in your spiritual health, plans to abide in Christ, plans to know him, not just have a checkbox, but to know Jesus. And so we as a church treasure that. We want to be abiding in the Lord, and we abide in him through his word, by his spirit. And so as a church, that's the way that we approach the word when it comes to preaching. We want to be in his word at all times. And so we are actually returning. We had a Christmas series. We're returning now uh, to the gospel of Mark. Uh, We've been walking verse by verse uh, through the gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 12 today, verses 38 uh, to 44. Our purpose of walking through a book, a total book of the Bible, and then moving on to another one and walking all the way through it is so that we're not tempted to try to skip over hard things. We, wanted, we want all of the counsel of God's word uh, for, so, so his spirit can use it in our hearts and teach us the truth so that we can be changed uh, by it. So this morning, uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 44. This actually marks our 44th sermon in the gospel of Mark up to this point. We've been in it for about a year uh, and a half uh, and we have, uh, we've already witnessed a lot about Jesus Christ, a lot about his life and ministry, uh, following him and his disciples through the pages of Scripture. Uh, we've witnessed his power. We've witnessed his authority as the only Son of God. As he's ministering throughout all of Galilee, we, we followed him as he's ministering for three years with his disciples. We see him healing the sick. We see him casting out demons. We see him raising the dead. We see him preaching and teaching with authority, right? Not as the scribes. Preaching with authority. And then just previous to our Christmas series, or Christmas break, we witnessed Jesus entering Jerusalem. Remember, he's riding on a donkey, a royal donkey, and, uh, and he's coming into Jerusalem to the cries of the people, the cries of salvation, Hosanna in the highest, which means God save us. And as he enters that city, like a royal coronation... He then makes his way to the temple, and then he engages the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and what he finds there is hypocrisy. What he finds is legalism. What he finds is empty religiosity, and he finds greed. Now today in chapter 12, verses 38 to 44, we're going to witness the very last public discourse given by Jesus in the temple before he's crucified. He's going to be just crucified here in a couple days It's going to take us a few months to get there because we're going to get there at Easter. But uh, this is his last public discourse. He just finished shooting down the arguments and the questions and the challenges of his authority uh, by the temple council, and he chooses to close his public teaching with a warning. He chooses to close it with a warning. He starts out our section today by saying, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Beware of these false teachers, beware of these phony shepherds who are leading people away from God, then they're taking advantage of these people along the way. Now, although you and I don't have scribes in our lives today, there are plenty of false teachers out there. There are plenty of phony shepherds out there uh, in the world right now. We We need to be watching for them. We need to be warning others about them. And so, as Jesus is revealing four kind of evil indicators to beware of with the scribes today, you and I are also going to apply that by being aware of four indicators for us to be aware of false shepherds. And so, we're going to do that starting in Mark 13, verses 38 to 44. Mark 13, 38 to 44. That's actually not the right scripture. Mark 12. I'm looking at chapter 13. I'm like, there is no 38 here. What's going on? Mark chapter 12, sorry. Mark chapter 12. Is the right one up there? Yeah? Okay, well, that's my problem. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 44. And it starts, and in his teaching, in Jesus' teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, And have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people putting in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. We always are in desperate need of your Holy Spirit to reveal your truth to us through your word. Lord, as your Spirit wrote this word through men, your Spirit also reveals it to our hearts. It illuminates the text, shows us your way, shows us your will, shows us the meaning. So Lord, we do pray that in this uh, section of Scripture today that you would teach us, that you would mold us into your image, that you would renew our minds, that you would change our hearts, and through that you would also change our behavior in that order always making sure that it's the spirit and the gospel and the word at the source. Lord, we thank you for this this morning. We pray that you would use it not only for us. We pray that you would use it for your glory and your glory alone. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what we're seeing here is Jesus warning. Jesus warning us about the scribes, warning his disciples, warning people about the scribes. Uh, again, like I said, it's also a warning for us uh, to be watching out for false shepherds uh, today, and uh, and we need this. We do need to, to be warning ourselves, to be aware this is very biblical, and to be warning others about false uh, shepherds. We see that uh, all throughout the, the New Testament. But today, like I said, we're going to see four indicators, four markers of false leadership that Jesus is showing us in the scribes. And we can apply that to our uh, context here today. So just beginning in verse 38, it starts out, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. We're going to stop there for our first point. Who like to walk around in long robes. So the first point is this, when it comes to spotting false shepherds, we need to beware of impressive appearances. False shepherds parade their position. Beware of the scribes, he says, who like to walk around in long robes. Now at first thought, that may not seem so significant, but at this time in first century Judaism, it wasn't hard to pick out a scribe in the crowd. In fact, back then the scribes really stood out amongst the people. They couldn't be missed and it was because of the way that they dressed. The text says they wore long robes. This is showing us here is that they they actually wore uh, long flowing and they were white robes. They were called talits, which is prayer shawls, Jewish prayer shawls. But these weren't just any run-of-the-mill prayer shawl. They were long. They were extended. They were bleached white. They were made of the finest wool, the finest linen, and they had really long tassels hanging all the way down to the ground. These were very showy prayer shawls, and they were meant to to stand out. So as the everyday Jew in culture at that time would wear all kinds of colors, they wore a lot of colorful clothes, these gleaming white robes walking into a marketplace would be very impressive, very noticeable. In fact, they were very ostentatious, and you could distinguish a scribe from an everyday person very easily, and the scribes were seen as special. They were seen as wealthy. They were seen as holy men of eminence. And Jesus says, beware of these scribes. Beware of these scribes who, listen carefully, like. They like to walk around in these long robes. They like to parade their position by what they're wearing. So friends, when you, when you study any religious system or culture in our world over the centuries, you're always going to find that the religious leaders of that culture, these sometimes called holy men of religion, they often distinguish themselves from the everyday person by wearing clothes that marks them out as special religious leaders. They wear impressive clothing to mark them as distinct, to mark them as holy, to mark them as somebody who is to be revered. So whether it's a Brahmin priest in Hinduism, or it's a Buddhist monk, or a Japanese Shinto priest, an African witch doctor, a Native American shaman, just to name a few, humanity often dresses their religious leaders differently than the common people. They stand out. They're unique. They're distinct. They're special. And that's what's going on here with the scribes. Now, to be fair, the scribes in Judaism get their original prayer shawls and tassels from Scripture, right? Instructions from the Lord. Back in Numbers 15, 37 to 39, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. And so God's people obeyed this over the centuries. It was given for them to be reminded of God's holiness, that God is a God that saves, uh, that God is a God that also has commandments. It reminds them to follow him and to do them. But as people often do, as, as the years went on, and later we see this official scribal system coming into place, the scribes took what was common and they exaggerated it. They lengthened their tassels. They whitewashed their shawls. And they did this in order to distinguish themselves from the common folk. They did it to stand out. They did it to parade their position. Jesus himself said about the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 23, 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad, that's their hat, and their fringes long. Friends, they want to stand out. They want to be noticed. They want to be distinct. They want to be seen as holy. And this is what the world does. This is what we do naturally. And we're still doing it. One of the greatest examples of this today is in the Roman Catholic Church. Over the evolution of the Roman Catholic Church, popes, cardinals, and priests began creating and wearing distinctive clothing and regalia that would emphasize their position to distinguish them from the rest of the people. I've got a picture here. A picture of just some of the papal vestments. Official outfits of the Pope. From his special hat to his long flowing robes right down to the shoes. This guy is standing out in the crowd. He looks very special. He looks very unique. He looks like somebody to be revered. And the world eats it up. They love it. But you and I know that like the scribes, according to Scripture alone, Roman Catholicism is a false religion. You heard that here. We're Protestants, right? Protestants means since the Reformation, we've been protesting against the Catholic Church. Because like the scribes you see in Scripture... They teach a faith by works, not by Christ alone. They teach a faith not according to Scripture alone, but a faith according to other revelation that they claim uh, to have. Uh, They teach a system of laws and sacraments. They don't teach faith in Christ alone according to Scripture alone. They love the ceremony. They love the pomp. They love the rituals. They love the regalia. They love that their leaders are dressed impressively and they parade their position. Now, some of this has also trickled down into the Protestant faith as well. When you look at our, uh, some of our friends in the Anglican Church and Lutherans and others, they also wear special clerical clothing, and, and, and some would argue that there is some room for this. But I think it's always a danger to distinguish church leadership by their clothing. We don't see any warrant for that in Scripture. We don't see that here. The point that Jesus is making here, ultimately, is that a desire to stand out, remember, these scribes like to wear these, these robes, a desire to stand out as a religious leader and to impress others is something to be extremely concerned with. It's something to be suspicious of. To parade one's position is to reveal false motivations. It's, it's re- re- really revealing a love for their position, not a love for God. Even in evangelical churches today, although our leaders don't wear papal hats and robes, we still need to be aware of impressive appearances in our world of mega churches and mega pastors and mega platforms, mega influence. Spiritual leaders are still prone to dressing to impress. Many of the megachurch pastors that you might see on TV have clothing allowances in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're wearing the top designers. They're wearing Gucci. They're wearing Armani. They're wearing Burberry and others. There's even an Instagram account out there called Preacher Sneakers. Preacher Sneakers. Highlighting the expensive shoes and the clothing that these phony shepherds are wearing. i seen one of the pictures, the the one leader uh, was wearing a jacket worth about $6,000 and shoes worth about $1,200 and a belt worth $1,000. Jesus says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. So friends, we need to beware of impressive appearances. They may be a false shepherd if you see this this overwhelming love for for wanting to impress, wanting to look, wanting to parade one's position. So that's the first marker to be aware of in this world of a false shepherd. But Then next, Jesus goes on and he gives us another characteristic to be aware of. He says, beware of the scribes who, again, like to walk around, in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplace and have best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So when it comes to watching out for false shepherds, we also need to be leery of special status. Be leery of special status. False shepherds pursue prestige. Now, when a scribe would go out into the marketplace with his long, flowing, white robes, it was customary. In fact, it was expected for the people to stop what they're doing and to stand up and to acknowledge his presence. And it was actually regarded as a very serious offense if you didn't do that, if you didn't stand and acknowledge them. Jesus says here that they, they like the greetings in the marketplaces. They like to be acknowledged. They love the attention. They pursue the prestige that goes along with the position. In Matthew's account of this same discourse, these greetings in the marketplace included special titles of respect for the scribes. So if, if a scribe was to walk into the market and you're down there shopping, to properly acknowledge him would be to stand up and to call him rabbi, teacher, or to call him father, or to call him instructor. In fact, at that time, there was a movement among the scribes uh, to reserve the name rabbi for themselves. They wanted that namesake exclusively given uh, to themselves. They wanted this exclusive, prestigious title because they loved their position. They loved their special titles. But in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, who are going to be the future leaders of the church, right? They're going to be the, the apostles. They're going to be the ones leading the church. He's teaching them who are going to be true shepherds, not false shepherds. He says, but you are not to be called a rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Matthew 23, 8-10. to Call No man, your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. I don't know how uh, the Roman Catholics read that text. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. What Jesus is saying here is that this love for special titles really is revealing pride in the heart. And like we've talked about before, when we're following Jesus on the road with Jesus, there's no room for pride on the road Following Jesus Christ. Jesus also says they have the best seats in the synagogues. But that's referring to uh, the coveted benches on the outside of the synagogue. They, they love to, to be sitting there. Those are the places where the, the scribes were sitting. And then there was also this bench at the very front facing the people. They're back to the Torah. They're facing the people. The place of honor in the temple. They love those seats. They love being seen. They love being front and center. And then Jesus goes on to say they also have places of honor at feasts. In the Jewish culture at that time, it was a sign of status, a sign of wealth to have a scribe or to have a Pharisee show up to your special events. Even if they would bring all their students, it was a sign of special status. If you were having a celebration... A scribe would get the best seat in the house, the place of honor. The place of honor is the seat right next to the host of whatever celebration, whatever party uh, is going on. It's, It's a better seat than the elderly. It's a better seat than even your own parents. And this went to the scribes' heads. They began to feel pretty special, being treated like royalty. In many ways, they were famous. They were distinguished. And they had a special status above the people, and they loved it. They loved the prestige. Well, as bad as this was for the scribes back then, in our world today, the pursuit of prestige has hit all new kinds of levels in evangelicalism. As the mega church phenomenon has risen over the past 30 years, again with mega budgets, mega salaries, mega perks, mega influence. All kinds of things have come along with that. Influence has come along with that. Pastors having positions of influence in the country. It's not unusual anymore to see pastors or false leaders doing life with the elite. Doing life with the upper crust of society. Hobnobbing with the rich. Experiencing the perks the season tickets, the first-class plane, the VIP treatment, the public influence. Even right now, there's a massive influence in the White House. If you were to look at, the, at President Trump's uh, spiritual advisory panel, you'd be quite shocked to see the privileges and the lifestyle of these so-called spiritual leaders. He's even recently hired a false teacher Onto his White House staff to be a spiritual advisor. The pursuit of prestige is dangerous. This is not the way of Christ. Let me ask you who was, who was Jesus hobnobbing with when he was on earth? Who did he hang out with? Mark 2 15 to 16. We see this Matthew, a tax collector one of the most despised people to the Jews because he was a traitor to the Jews. Jesus is eating in his house. Matthew's hosting a dinner. As he reclined a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees again, who we're talking about, who we need to be aware of, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with collectors, tax collectors, and sinners? Friends, Jesus didn't come in pride. He didn't come in pomp and prestige and perks. He wasn't jockeying for position. No, he humbled himself to the lowly. He wasn't pursuing all the benefits that, that, uh, that he even rightly had as, as the king. He didn't even have his own home. He said in Luke 9, 58, my wife's favorite scripture verse, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was not about the pursuit of prestige. Now, I know it sounds like I'm just picking on the megachurch. I've mentioned it a few times. Uh, There's also the prosperity gospel out there as well. Massive pursuit of prestige. This also takes place in small churches. Liking greetings in the marketplace. Some Christian leaders really treasure their titles that they have been given. Pastor, elder, bishop, deacon. These are all in the Bible. They're all good. They're all right. But if the reception of the title in your heart conjures up some kind of feelings of pride and prestige and prominence, then we're not far from the scribes either. You know, the first time somebody called me pastor, I really felt uncomfortable. It felt strange. Wasn't used to it. But even stranger than that was when somebody called me reverend. Really uncomfortable with that one. Reverend means someone who is worthy to be revered. Someone who is worthy to be respected. Now, I know that Scripture calls us to respect and submit our leaders. That's all good and right. But I also don't see reverend in Scripture as a title. We have have official titles. So the, the word reverend actually didn't come into play until the 1500s. So I'm not a big fan of reverend. You can call me pastor. Um, But there are some out there that that really hold on to that. They really treasure having those titles. Even with pastors and elders and deacons, titles and perks and privileges can be dangerous. It can be a dangerous area to navigate. and, And many a pastor has fallen to these temptations of prestige, temptations to have the choice seat. But Jesus is showing us here that when a leader... Pursues prestige when they embrace a special status, we need to be aware of them. We need to be leery of that because it 's not the way it 's not the way of christ it 's not the way of a christ like shepherd in luke 's gospel. Jesus gives a parable about a wedding feast to teach his disciples about true humility. He says in luke fourteen eight to eleven when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast. Do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame and take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, the way up is down in God's kingdom. True shepherds must follow the humility modeled to us by the great shepherd. So we need to be leery of special status. False shepherds pursue prestige. And then verse 40, Jesus says, Again, this is building off that initial statement, beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And he says they will receive the greater condemnation. Now we're going to deal with this devouring the widows' houses in, in the final section here today, but let's focus our eyes on a third mark of a false shepherd that we're seeing here. Beware of the scribes who for a pretense... Make long prayers. We need to be alert to pretentious piety. Be alert to pretentious piety. False shepherds perform for praise. Now, the word pretense comes from the, the Greek word prophasis, which, which means for excuse, for ulterior motives. I love how the New American Standard Bible translates it It translates it, for appearance sake. These scribes that these people are be- to be aware of pray pretentiously. They pray for the ears of others, not the ears of God. They pray to be seen. They pray to be heard. They pray and practice their holiness in front of others for a pretense. For false motives. As I was studying this section, I was reminded of a, a former president of a certain Christian denomination who hired a photographer to follow him through all his days as president to take pictures of him doing his duties as he led the denomination. Now, these pictures included him holding babies, preaching in churches, baptizing people, reading his Bible. But pictures of him praying, praying with others, praying in the church, praying alone, while you're not really alone if there's a photographer taking a picture of you. And then these pictures were regularly uploaded to his social feeds. I remember when I, when I first saw these pictures, I thought to myself, this just seems so artificial. It seems put on. And what's the motive going on here? As these scribes in the scriptures here prayed long-winded, look-at-me prayers, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. To be clear, a public prayer is not a problem. It's not. It's the love. It's the love of standing and praying in order to be heard, in order to be seen. This this love to display my holiness through my long-winded words in front of others. Praying is intended for God. Not for others to be hearing you. It's for God's ears. It's not for the praise of man. So if you want to spot a questionable shepherd, ask yourself, is, is he pursuing the Lord or is he per, performing for an audience? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus says in our text here today, they will receive the greater condemnation. There will be a special place in hell for false teachers, for false shepherds, a greater condemnation. When it comes to spotting the marks of false shepherds, so beware of impressive appearances, right? We need to be be leery of special status, we need to be alert to pretentious piety, and fourthly, we need to be aware of abuse of power. Be aware of abuse of power. False shepherds prey on people, and more than that, they prey on the poor. So back to this devouring of widows' houses. Beware of the scribes who, in verse forty, devour widows' houses. This sets us up for this final section about the widow's offering. This is the context that we need to understand the widow's offering. Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and then study this section. Verse 41 to 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Now I'm sure that you have heard this section preached maybe a little differently than I'm going to. You may have heard this section preached as an example of faithfulness in giving. Like, look at the widow who gave everything from nothing. We ought to give the same way. We ought to give this sacrificially, right? She gave believing. She gave trusting. Right? It's not about how much you give, but how, how, about how much you sacrifice. All of that sounds good. And you can see that in other places of Scripture, but that's not what this is about. When you look at the context as a whole here, when you look at this, what's going on here in Mark chapter 12, you're seeing a series of judgments. Jesus is confronting the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, constant judgments. And then this section is also followed by judgment, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, throughout all of chapter 12, Jesus is is combating them and he is winning Then we see him warning in our section here, warning about the scribes. Why? Because they devour widows' homes. And so the connection in the context is the scribes devouring widows' homes and the widows' offering, okay? As this widow is placing her very last two coins in the temple offering, the connection is the scribes who are devouring her home. Context is always king. We see her putting in her livelihood. We we see her putting all that she has in in the coffers. So it's not an example of faithfulness to the Lord, but an example of coercion. It's an example of corruption of the scribes. Let's take a look here. As Jesus finishes teaching publicly in the temple, he then takes his disciples and he takes them over to the temple treasury. I've got a diagram of the temple here. He takes them to the the court of the women in the temple. Uh, It's a section in the the very front, the last place the women can enter. And in that place are 13 trumpet-shaped depositories, which is basically an upside-down, kind of a trumpet-shaped thing with a hole. And you put your offering in there. These 13 would be for different areas of giving uh, in the temple. So everyone from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor would give their offerings there. They would go to the court of the women in plain sight for everyone to see to give of your offering to the temple. So just imagine Jesus and his disciples grabbing a seat and watching the people putting money into the offering. First, they see this rich man putting in large sums of money. It would probably be quite a commotion as he would take all of his money. And what they had was coins. So it would be putting a lot of coins into this metal horn. Everybody would have heard it. And then you see this poor widow. Jesus calls her a poor widow. Coming in with the two smallest coins of currency available Mark even interprets this to his Roman audience that it's worth a penny to them. Two small copper coins that really amounted to about one-sixty-fourth of a denarius. If you remember from uh, our sermon about paying taxes to, to Caesar, you'll remember that a denarius was a day's wage for a common laborer. And all she had was one-sixty-fourth of that. One-point-five of a day's laborer. That's all she had to give. She was the poorest of the poor. Giving this money would mean that she wouldn't have food. She probably wouldn't have food for a long time. But yet she drops the two coins in the treasury. And as Jesus is watching this, he calls his disciples to himself and, and says to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, and he emphasizes it, all she had to live on. She had nothing else, nothing left. This was her last two coins. In her giving, she was endangering her own life. She was believing a lie. She was giving to an evil and corrupt system. She was being manipulated. The Scribes were devouring her home. At that time, scribes were the keepers and the interpreters of the law. They were very respected, and they were also involved in people's finances. Whether you were rich or poor, scribes would often get involved in how you make decisions with your money you'd often see them attaching themselves to rich people we see that here these rich people giving lots of money even to the point that they'd access to their wealth and even managing their wealth hence we see this this rich man with large sums coming but it didn't stop there they also went to the poorest of the poor and at that time the widows were the poorest of the poor And Jesus, seeing all this taking place, how the rich give lots, but yet still have lots left over. And the widow giving everything she has, leaving her with nothing, he says, out of her poverty, she's put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So, this is not a commendation about the widow. It's not a commendation about her faith, but it's a condemnation towards the scribes. You know, when it comes to giving, yes, we give sacrificially. Yes, we give generously. Yes, we give with a happy heart. Yes, we give of our first fruits. Even in 2 Corinthians, we see a church rallying together, even in their own poverty and affliction together, giving faithfully. But the Lord will not call you to starve yourself to give financially to the kingdom. He's not going to call you to further impoverish yourself, risk your life in order to give. Yes, the church is sustained by faithful, regular, trusting, sacrificial giving. But if you generally, genuinely do not have the means... If it means that you're putting your family in danger, don't put in those last two copper coins. The Lord is not about devouring widows' homes, like the scribes. You know, as we look across our world, it's so awesome to see the expansion of the gospel to the the outer reaches, different people groups, going into China... Going into the Middle East, going into Eastern Europe, South America, Africa, India. It's going everywhere. The Lord is building his church. But what's incredibly concerning is that along with this expansion of the gospel is a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching going across this world. False gospel, false teachers, and they're praying upon the people, and they're praying upon the poor. as many different versions of the gospel and anti-gospels are being spread all over the world, what's so sad and what's infuriating to me is that the poorest of the poor are being preyed upon. We have some really good pastor friends planting GCC churches, our fellowship of churches in Africa, local African guys planting churches. And what they've told us is so concerning, concerning, it's so alarming. How false teachers are preaching a prosperity gospel, false prosperity gospel to the poorest of the people, promising them wealth, promising them riches if they just give to their so-called church. There's health and wealth prosperity preachers, again, wearing Armani suits and flying in their personal jets, To crowds of thousands and thousands and thousands of poor people in Africa right now, taking their last two cents, and then they return to their mansions in North America. It's disgusting. And this is rampant across the world right now. They're devouring widows' homes. This is not faith, this is corruption. This is coercion. And like Jesus says about the scribes, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 13 to 15, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus despises false teaching, false teachers. That's why he's closing his public teaching with a warning. To beware the scribes. Beware these phony shepherds. It's a warning for people who are trapped in a religious system. Trapped in a false system. It's also a warning for his disciples. As they're going to be the true shepherds. You're not going to be like these guys. It's also a warning for us. It's a warning. Even for those that we love. In our family, we have people trapped in in some of this false teaching, and we need to be warning them out of love. Friends, we need to beware the scribes. Beware the false shepherds, because you can spot them by their character. Jesus has given us four marks to be looking out for. Beware of impressive appearances. They parade their position. Be leery of special status, they pursue prestige, and be alert to pretentious piety, they perform for praise, and be aware of abusive power. They prey on people let's pray.